Say, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. Guys, um, I right off the bat want to say to you, Alex, we need to talk about our old home neighborhood. Yeah, Crystal City uh, was announced uh, in uh, Crystal City, which is a, a neighborhood in quotes uh, in northern Virginia, just outside D.C. Okay, don't knock it. I really loved it when I lived Well, we're going to talk about whether it should be knocked. Um, I spent but, a couple nights there in a hotel once. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> lovely. Okay. That's lovely. Yeah. That's true of a lot of people's experience. And the reason we're talking about it is because it was chosen as one of the East Coast locations for... Uh, Amazon's second headquarters, along with Long Island City in Queens. And that decision has prompted an interesting discussion about, you know, the role of corporate behemoths sort of like just setting up shop in neighborhoods. Um, In LAC, it's like, that's a complicated thing. There's like lots of rapid gentrification going on. Subways don't work particularly well. Yeah. And and that's, those are important issues. With the Crystal City, though, it's Uh, interesting. Well, can we just start with the thing that I found the most striking about the announcement? Amazon has already renamed the neighborhood. It's true. It's going to be called National Landing. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yes. You didn't know that. <laughs> they renamed yeah. it. National Here, Landing. Here's their I mean, it's rationale. A, Crystal City is a very bad name. Okay. Yeah. C- couple things. Objectively. Here's a little history. It's named Crystal City because when the um, community was original originally built, there was one building that had a big chandelier in it. Somebody just offhandedly called it a, a crystal, whatever. And it was named Crystal City. It was mm-hmm. called Crystal House, and I know yeah. that because okay. I lived. This in was that. obviously <laughs> before the before the advent of crystal meth. Uh, sure. True. Long yeah. before. But but here's why Amazon thinks they can rebrand. Um, they are taking part of Crystal City, part of Pentagon City, another place I also live, yeah. and then part of an area called Potomac Yard, which is, they're all right next to each other. Yeah. They're basically sort of undefined neighborhoods that bleed into one another. Um, so they're just like, no, nah, it's three things. We're just going to name a national landing. They didn't want to mash them up like Chris Pat Pen or like, <laughs> that would be very, That's very New York. That would yeah. Be, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing is like, and I was, I was talking to you about this yesterday, Amber, like it, it basically was a failed urban development project from, oh, yeah. from the seventies. It's very dystopian. Like everything it, is cut off by highways and there's underground pathways. Yeah, and, there's an underground a, mall. And there's a bunch, there, there's an underground mall. There's a bunch Bleak. of like, uh, mostly abandoned. Okay, it's not, I really Offices and apartment buildings and stuff. And I can imagine that Arlington County, when they sat down with Amazon, they're like, listen, we kind of messed this up if you guys want to come in and give it like another <laughs> Is reboot. There like, you anyway, well, here's the we thing, could though. do a new name. So there's, there's uh, North Arlington has the places that are maybe a little better known for being planned out a little more properly and are a little more popular. Pentagon City and Crystal City are an area where... It was a refuge where you could get better deals on housing. It's true. Like that. I mean, so I have a lot of friends that still live there. They're mm. already like, oh no, is my rent going to go like through the roof when Amazon comes here? Well, they said in Long Island City that they're like realtors are driving like busloads of people to I know. Go speculatively Ooh. buy like yeah. crappy apartments. That's I mean, I, I I lived in Crystal City for three years because my office was also there, yeah. and that was true of you too, right? Yeah. And so you could walk to work, and you didn't have it to deal nice. with, with the bad Washington trains. I'm curious to know. We can get off this, but like, um, what's going to happen to Crystal City Restaurant? I don't know if you're, oh, you're aware Crystal of this. City Restaurant, which is a, um, it, it's a topless place, right? It's not, it's not a full strip club. I mean, Alex included this uh, when I was there on business in a, in a dossier <laughs> of things. I, I wasn't well, aware that it was thing, a topless. It's bar. not particularly labeled well. well I no, mean, that 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 has changed because it was like a couple of years ago they actually labeled it like adult entertainment yeah, or whatever. For years, for it, years didn't it wasn't, have that. and that is one of my. If, if you want some entertainment. Go to Yelp and read the reviews of Crystal City Restaurant <laughs> over going back a couple of years. Guys, I don't want to break up this discussion of your, your <laughs> I mean, much, it's probably you're clearly time. much you're right. beloved yeah, former we can, neighborhood. We can go to the B-sides on this later. <laughs> let's uh, let's get to the news. I let's think Alex that. has the first story. Yeah. Um, we're back on that uh, that old chestnut of big law 
and its affinity for forced arbitration clauses. <laughs> we, we've, uh, uh, yeah, I feel like I've heard this before. We've talked about that in a couple different contexts. And specifically, uh, what we're talking about today is a group of Harvard Law students um, who, on Tuesday, they asked their fellow students um, to boycott uh, the big law firm Kirkland & Ellis after releasing a copy of the firm's arbitration contract, which, like a lot of arbitration contracts, effectively bars new hires from suing the firm uh, basically for any reason should they should 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 a dispute arise. Um, this is just kind of the latest development. We've talked about it in a couple different contexts where, you know, within the academic community, there is an effort to sort of get rid of these at the big law level. So as you mentioned, we've talked about these agreements in different context and why they're problematic. But what exactly was Kirkland including in their contracts? Yeah. So the document as it was published by this group, which is called the uh, Pipeline Parity Project, um, basically follows the broad strokes of a lot of these agreements. It basically says they, it allows for legal action for a few small bore uh, disputes, like things like regarding severance and benefits. But Otherwise, there's a wide swath of laws that you just cannot sue the firm under under any uh, context. Um, it's been in place for about a decade, and it basically forecloses um, act, legal action under the Civil Rights Act, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Family Medical Leave Act, and the Fair Labor Standards Act. And it might sound it might sound redundant for people who have been listening to the show or people who have been watching this, but I mean, the issue why these are such a big deal is that the, like you know that they foreclose people from they've they've come up a lot in the last year over the, in the context of the Me Too movement. That they, yeah. they foreclose people from bringing problems publicly uh, in a way that that would would address them. Yeah, I mean, it, it forces you into arbitration. Like it, it it helps the company avoid bad press, and it's sort of it, arbitration is generally seen as more favorable to right. the companies rather than the employers and things like and that. And the one you just the, the laundry list of laws you just mentioned that are included under this this arbitration provision. As a person who used to write about employment law all the time, you named all of them. Yeah, it's I mean, those are the, it's so broad. Those are the big ones. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, the, the, the language follows like most of these. It says, uh, arbitration is the exclusive forum for resolution of such disputes, and the parties mutually waive their right to a trial before a judge or jury in federal or state court in favor of arbitration under the policy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this, this group, uh, again, the Pipeline Parity Project, Released it on social media. They gave it the sort of the full court press. They came up with this hashtag, uh, Dump Kirkland. Uh, again, they're urging their fellow students to boycott, to and, not apply uh, to the firm. Well, it's, it's, job. it's interesting because, and we talked about this when we were planning this week's show, that it's one firm and it's one school, but it's a very, very important school and a very, yeah, very important firm. So it's it's a, big, a it's a big story. Yeah, and uh, worth noting, um, this has happened sort of in other contexts and in, in certain contexts, firms have abandoned these agreements. Uh, silence so far uh, from Kirkland. We're recording this on Thursday. These things tend to move fast, um, but they, uh, they've they been silent so far. Well, this also has some echoes of what's going on just in corporate America too, right? Didn't we see some similar stuff out of Google and Facebook just this past week too? That's right. Um, it's it's this is I think people know enough to know this is not exclusive to big law. Uh, Google abandoned Google basically had a policy that forced arbitration for workers that made sexual harassment claims. And that policy was one of sort of several policies that spurred um, uh, basically a company wide walkout of many yeah. of its. Uh, like like thousands of employees yeah, across many offices, like across the globe, not even in America. Right. I think a lot of people saw the pictures or the video on social media, yeah. like uh, hundreds of people out in front of Google offices everywhere. Yeah. And Google uh, abandoned that uh, after after that walkout. Uh, Facebook soon followed through, uh, abandoned a similar policy as mm -hmm. well in the wake of that. Um, so it has reverberations um, elsewhere in the big law context. We've talked about. 
um, in May, this very group, Pipeline Parity, was part of the effort that um, led to a survey of firms. Here, when we talked yeah, about yeah, this, yeah. They, they sent out a survey that was about NDAs, but basically asked like all the firms that were recruiting on their campus, do you have any kind of coercive arbitration agreements that you make us sign? Uh, they didn't get a lot of response to that, but Kirkland actually didn't respond, and that was why when this um, document became public, they felt the need to, to sort of go forward with it. Well, I'm glad you brought it back to the legal context and the law school context because yeah. it is sort of a weird set of dynamics, right? With the, you know, the it's it's a it's a relatively small body of people that are that are in these top spots at these top schools when it comes to the legal industry. Yeah, I mean, the late like labor activists would probably say that like big time corporate lawyers are maybe not always the best avatar for like labor change. These are yeah. people who will either will like make a lot of money or be pretty well off in their uh, in their respective jobs. But uh, where it becomes important, I mean, the, the labor dynamics are always important between employer and employee. But, um, you know, these are people we're talking about students who don't yet even work for these firms and they're not even applying for jobs yet. So they recognize the fact that they are Harvard Law students, therefore very coveted by right. the industry sure. so they can exert this pressure in the labor market before they're even employees um, <laughs> yeah. with sort of piecemeal results so far. I mean, Kirkland hasn't yet backed down, but other firms have. Um, and it's just a very fascinating uh, strategy that we've seen play out um, and probably will continue to see play out. So, guys, the next thing I want to turn to is talking about another group that's trying to exert some pressure. Mm -hmm. yeah. This one is coming out of um, the Federalist Society. Mm -hmm. You guys probably all have heard that name. Sure. Yeah. Group yeah. of conservative lawyers and legal uh, people who uh, exert a tremendous amount of influence, um, most Particularly specifically in, when, you, when, when it comes to selecting judges exactly. for Republican presidents. So they're very conservative, and they're having their big annual conference, and a group of them, sort of a subgroup, unveiled this new thing called Checks and Balances. Mm -hmm. Rings a bell. Yeah. So it's a group that's going to aim to speak out against what they see as the Trump administration sort of running over the rule of law. Interesting. Because, yeah. you know, it's not a dynamic. The dynamic you think of at the Federalist Society is that they are, like you said, a very integral part of the Trump administration's pretty successful efforts to um, to put new judges in. So, yeah. For all of the unorthodox things about um, this administration, when we've we talked about it on the show, like when it comes to picking judges, like they go off the Federalist sure. Society list quite sure. a bit. So they, who, who is in this group? It, there are no slouches in this group. It's George Conway. Mm -hmm. um, people see him on TV regularly. He he comments quite a bit, and he's married to Kellyanne Conway. Become something of a uh, gadfly for uh, President Trump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we talked uh, about his op-ed last week because we him did. and Neil Katyal had uh, an opposition to the to the appointment of Whitaker to, to right. head the DOJ. And then it's people like Tom Ridge, who used to head up DHS. And actually, that brings us to the next thing I want to talk about: John Bellinger, who was um, a top lawyer for the State Department and the White House under President George W. Bush. And we've actually got him to come on the show and be with us to tell us more about what the group wants to do. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for being with us. Great to be with you guys. So in your work to found checks and balances, um, I'm interested in how that came about in the big picture. Why did you think a group made up of all conservative attorneys was really necessary right now? 
Well, a group of us were concerned uh, about the uh, continuing and, and increasing attacks on uh, important American institutions like uh, a free press and uh, more recently the Department of Justice, separation of powers. Uh, uh, some people have been speaking out, of course, uh, but we have not seen uh, conservatives and conservative lawyers uh, speaking out uh, as much, and yet we know that there is this concern amongst conservative circles. So uh, a number of us formed this group uh, really to give voice uh, uh, to these concerns uh, amongst conservative lawyers uh, and to uh, encourage others uh, to speak out in defense of uh, the rule of law, uh, a free press, uh, separation of powers. John, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the nature of your opposition. You guys put out a joint statement that talks about uh, some of the stuff you just rattled off, rule of law, the power of truth, the the necessity of civil discourse. Um, We've seen a lot of that from, you know, some Republicans who oppose Trump, be they in Congress or elsewhere. But what does that mean in terms of that? That's often materialized in sort of statements that are uncomfortable that, that that express discomfort when the president does something gauche or breaking with norms. What about on a substantive policy standpoint? Does this mean that you guys will um, sort of take issue with conservative judicial appointments or fiscal reforms, things like that? I mean, what exactly is the nature of the opposition? Well, certainly not the latter. And in fact, the really the idea here is that um, although each one of us has got different personal views sure. about different things we like and, and don't like, and we're all agreed that each of us will speak individually, um, you know, many are perfectly happy with the judicial appointments and, and even some of the regulatory policies. But there's a feeling that uh, e- even if conservatives and particularly conservative lawyers are happy with those judicial appointments, it doesn't mean uh, that that we or they uh, or us should remain silent uh, when uh, other important uh, institutions that are enshrined in the Constitution, like a, a free press enshrined in the First Amendment, uh, or the Department of Justice with all of the important work that it does uh, and should be non-politicized, uh, that we should remain silent when those institutions are under attack. That's not... Uh, part of our uh, constitutional system, and it's not part of being a conservative. So we wanted uh, to uh, both speak out ourselves and to say, this is not okay. Well, we certainly like hearing that free press was mentioned a few times in there as (laughs) members of the press you're talking to here. All the allies that the press can get, that seems like a good thing. Well, and, you know, I've, I've spent much of my life as a government official in, in which I often disagreed with the press and felt that, uh, uh, you know, coverage that we got was not fair uh, on certain things. And I would um, call up uh, the press and tell them where I disagreed with them. But, you know, we think it's not proper to suggest that the press is the uh, enemy of the people or should not be included or to encourage violence against the press. Obviously, a free press is, goes back to the uh, beginning of our country and is enshrined uh, in the First Amendment. Uh, many of us also served at the Department of Justice. Two of our group uh, were acting uh, attorneys general, uh, one another deputy attorney general, and all of us have been 
concerned about uh, the attacks on the Department of Justice, the uh, suggestion that it's uh, by putting the word justice in quotes that it doesn't really dispense justice uh, and really to discredit it as an institution. And we we, we want to speak you know, not just to the lawyers here in Washington, uh, but really to people across the country to make sure uh, that these attacks on these important American institutions and really the rule of law uh, doesn't sink in across the country. Uh, so we want to stir up debate. Uh, obviously, the Federalist Society annual meeting is starting uh, in Washington today and tomorrow. Thousands of conservative lawyers are gathering from around the country. Uh, and uh, uh, we wanted to stimulate debate uh, amongst these folks, going back to your first point of even if they're happy with uh, uh, the judicial appointments and regulatory reform, uh, that they shouldn't be happy and should be prepared to speak out uh, uh, about these attacks on our institutions. John, we've talked about the we've we've pretty clearly laid out the the problem and and talked about debate and talked about speaking out. Is there a sense of what you know how how this might manifest itself? Any concrete plans for for action that um, that people should be keeping an eye out in the in the months ahead? Well, the first thing is we'd like to see people uh, join us, and that was the last line of our mission statement, is to say uh, we uh, uh, hope that others will join with us to stand up for these important principles. Uh, Just in the uh, day since our statement was issued, uh, all of us have been uh, receiving uh, uh, encouragement from uh, conservative lawyers around the country, people coming to the Federalist Society, uh, people who are not, uh, saying that, yes, I do feel this way. I don't think that it's uh, right to attack and threaten uh, the press. Uh, I don't think it's right to attack the Department of Justice. I, uh, I don't like the uncivil discourse and that we as uh, conservative lawyers should be prepared to stand up for these things. So uh, uh, hopefully we will hear more people speaking out. We really would like to see some discussion at the Federalist Society. It, it doesn't take stands itself. We don't expect the Federalist Society to issue a statement or take a stand, but it was an opportunity uh, as lawyers and law students from around the country gather here uh, to think about these things and to, to go back into their home states and perhaps uh, you know make sure that politicians and leaders uh, and, and, and people in their home states uh, are, are not coming to believe that these kind of attacks uh, are uh, proper in our constitutional democracy. John, thanks for coming on the show and explaining it. We'll be watching to see how the group grows and develops. Well, thanks very much for reaching out. Good luck. Bye-bye. Mr. President, if I may ask Peter, one other question, are you worried? That's enough. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, that's well, I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. that's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask. This is Jim Acosta. I am in front of the White House. Uh, Secret Service officer is asking for my hard pass. After the press conference, the White House banned Jim Acosta from the press room because they say that he assaulted the intern who tried to take his microphone away from him. Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweeted out a different video, one that was sent out by InfoWars. But the video was altered, and, and there are experts who have looked but, at but it that to make it look, speed it up to make it look, pardon? Oh, well, that's not altered. That's sped up. They do it all the time in sports to see if there's actually a first down or a touchdown. CNN is taking action after the White House ban our chief White House correspondent, Jim Acosta, 
A lawsuit has been filed against the president. Breaking news, we're live on the air right now. We can report that the judge has ruled in favor of CNN and has ordered the White House to return Jim Acosta's press passes. Um, what a messy press week we've had. What a week. Cool. Yeah, so I think we need to <laughs> dig into this. And obviously we're talking about um, CNN's Jim Acosta getting his press pass revoked by the yeah. White House and the lawsuit that quickly was filed by um, CNN. Yeah, yeah, and as of about two hours ago, a uh, federal judge ordered that that CNN's, that Jim Acosta's press pass must be restored by the Trump White House, saying that they had likely violated the Fifth Amendment um, by revoking it. Um, so yeah, you just heard the the montage, and it capped off a pretty, um, pretty whirlwind week yeah. here. And it felt like a sort of formal version of like, battle we've been watching for three years now with like the you know the trump administration versus the free press i mean it's pretty yeah. unprecedented versus all like of the, us well yeah and, and, and yeah. cnn specifically like cnn v trump has been That's a through right. line of the yeah. administration so it was, i think it was i guess a matter of time before it became an actual court case yeah yeah so let's rewind um sure. bill i know you've been following this really closely along with um some reporters in our dc bureau so you're the man to tell us all about it. Um, let's start with the incident itself. He's also a media reporter, folks. It's not <laughs> yeah. just copyrights and trademarks here. My man sprays to all fields. Jack That's, of all trades. Sprays to all fields is your favorite phrase. All right. Uh, okay. So what is it? Uh, so there was a press conference on November 7th, the day after the midterms. And Jim Acosta, CNN's chief White House correspondent, uh, asked one of the very first questions. Trump. It was Trump, not Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah. And... Um, he asked about the so-called caravan in Central America and how it had been, you know, that was a very big story leading up to the election. And a lot of people said it was maybe a little overplayed by mm -hmm. by Republicans. And he asked Trump if he would describe it as as an invasion, um, as he had in the past. And Trump refused to, to answer. And you heard the clip and it was, you know, he told him to sit down and he said, uh, you know, let me run the government and that's enough and everything else. And like you said at the up top, we've been watching this for years with Trump and Acosta. They've yeah. been sort of sparring with each other. It happened on like, I, I think it was the day of the inauguration or maybe a week before when he had that famous moment with Acosta. But yeah. But anyway, so a White House staffer comes over to try to take the microphone physically away from Acosta. He doesn't let go, and she eventually goes and sits down, and he gets to ask another question. Trump doesn't really answer that one either, and we all move on. Mm -hmm. A few hours later, uh, Acosta tries to get back into the White House. They take his what's known as a hard pass, which is his pass that gives him sort of unlimited access. It's the it's his you know, permanent pass exactly. to go to the briefings and be at the and White House. And without that, it's very there. difficult to do White House reporting because it's obviously a very high security. Place. Right. Yeah, you, um, you apply for a day pass and there's all kinds of rigmarole. This gets around that if you're a regular White House reporter. Exactly. And the initial reason was that he had placed his hands on the intern, on the staffer who had come over yeah. to try to take the microphone away from him. Again, as we heard during the montage, the initial the initial backup for that argument was this video that then all sorts of immediate criticism came out that said that it was released by the far right wing website Infowars that had been doctored to make it appear more aggressive on Acosta's yeah. part. Yeah, Acosta and the woman are are like they both kind of have the microphone and then kind of like tussle with it. But right. like, yeah, for the administration then basically is like sort of framed it as like exactly an aggressive move by. And Acosta. there was all this breakdown by all of these pundits on TV about like. At what point, which person touched the other one first, and that it kind became Zapruderish very quickly, it and it didn't help, as you say, that the that much of the of the official uh, 
material circulated by the White right. House had been altered in some way. So we roll around this week. Last week, the White House Correspondents Association issued a statement saying you can't, you shouldn't revoke people's press passes because you don't like the way they were asking questions, yada, yada, yada. Um, but this week we get to Tuesday and CNN files a lawsuit against yeah. the Trump administration. Well, this is where it becomes truly a story Law 360 is interested in, sure. where we get to the lawsuit part. So I want to, I think a lot of people sort of loosely been following along, but let's break down the actual arguments in that lawsuit. Yeah. So it had um, two main claims. One was, as you immediately would imagine, it had a First Amendment claim saying that this was retaliation, that this was, you know, that they were um, they were discriminating against him based on the viewpoint and the content of his speech, which are both two sort of protected types of, mm-hmm. um, they're two sort of tranches of, of, First, of Amendment First Amendment violations. And on the face of it, I mean, there's ample uh, record of Trump right. directly yeah. you get wouldn't after have to, Acosta yeah. and CNN. Yeah, you wouldn't have to reach very far to yeah. find exactly. like, animus. Or, and you, yeah. so the other thing was, and this we will talk about more because it, it sort of ended up being the big thing, um, was a Fifth Amendment violation right. saying okay. that they had violated his due process rights by taking away his press pass without giving him an explana- a clear explanation and a chance to rebut it and a chance to basically say, here's why we're doing this. Um, what do you think? And you know, this is the reason why. And even though Trump has had perhaps a particularly acrimonious relationship with the press, certainly not the first incidents of the White House having friction with the press and past incidences were instructive here because precedent there there was some interesting precedent mm-hmm. for the case right yeah there was a ruling from the sort of key case here was a ruling in the 1970s involving a reporter from the nation um mm-hmm. who they were um in the 1960s they had been um, denied a press pass to the white house and the ultimate ruling said there is this sort of hybrid fifth amendment first amendment situation at play yeah. here that the, you, there's a, a reporter has a first amendment protected interest in having access to the White House and being able to ask these questions and being there. And by not offering a detailed explanation for why you were abridging that, why you were potentially harming that First Amendment interest, you had then violated the Fifth Amendment. Yeah, it's an so, interesting yeah. In, like, interplay of the two uh, amendments. Right. Well, it's right like now. it wouldn't be if if that if the the underlying First Amendment protection protected interest wasn't there, you the maybe the Fifth Amendment aspect wouldn't be there either. So they sort of re- rely on each other. It's mm-hmm. an interesting it's an interesting precedent. But what it basically says is, if you're going to do this, you need to offer an explanation and you need to do it in advance. Uh, and you need to give them a thing that they can look at and then they can potentially appeal that. Yeah, they're not required to like give carte blanche to whoever wants a hard pass at the White House. Exactly. And, th- and that's the, the key that, that the ruling said that you don't have an absolute right to this, and there, the White House has a lot of leeway. To, sure, it, you are protecting the president. You are—it's a limited space. All sorts of reasons why you would deny people. But if mm-hmm. someone is a member of of a established press organization and you've denied them access to the White House, you have to at least explain. So, does the White House uh, typically have those processes in place? I mean. It seems like we often talk about the Trump White House being. Um, uh, outside of the traditional yeah. norms, well, are they following the usual procedures? Well, what we know here is that there was a shifting series of rationales for why they had yeah, I wanted booted to to that. Acosta. Mm-hmm. That, okay. You know, it was initially this placed his hands on the staffer thing. Yeah. Um, and it relied on the video. 
once CNN filed their lawsuit, they filed an immediate you know, request for a temporary restraining order that would force the White House to allow Acosta back in. The White House had to file a formal response on Wednesday morning. They didn't include anything like that. Yeah. They, their argument had shifted to he was being disruptive and we have broad discretion to not allow him into the White House. And it's the same as just if I didn't want to call on someone or I didn't want to grant an interview. We have a lot of discretion to choose who we grant these press passes to. And so... Well, that seems problematic right on the face of it, right? Because, I mean, if that's... If if someone can just be stamped disruptive for aggressively asking a question, then any adversarial press will be left out. And then you're left with a press room of what? Like Fox News and Breitbart? Right, and that's that's the, the... The key here is not creating a standard under the First Amendment for what for the protection for the reporters. Yeah. It's merely saying, if you are going to do this, you have to explain. That's the sure. key here. Well, and that's what's weird. Like, the fact that they shifted away from, like, yeah, he maybe uh, assaulted or, you know, put his hands on this staffer. Like, that would seem to be a pretty easy, like, rationale. Like, if you actually thought that, you could probably pretty easily claim in court, like, yeah, you can't, like be physically assaulting White House staff and expect sure. to keep coming sure. here. But the fact that they then pivoted to like the nature of his questioning yep. seems to like put them on shakier First Amendment and Fifth Amendment ground. Right. Um, okay. So those are the sort of the the arguments that each side was putting forward in this sort of very, you know, uh, fast-tracked suit. Yeah. Where did where did we land today with the judge's ruling? Yeah, there was a hearing on Wednesday that um, the judge actually asked some really pointed questions of CNN, so there was some speculation of whether or not of, you know, and he was... It was in D.C. federal court. Yeah, right? and I think an interesting little sidebar for us to have right now is talking about the the role of in when you're reporting on stories like this. There was a lot of reporting of the fact that the judge had been appointed by President Trump last year. Right. Um, and, you know, that played in prominently. Um, but so the judge asked some really pointed questions of CNN and people thought maybe this would go the Trump administration's way. Um, and there was supposed to be a ruling Thursday. It got pushed back. Fast forward to this morning. The judge came out very, very strongly on CNN's side. It was, um, he issued a temporary restraining order forcing the White House to restore Acosta's press pass. He said that not only would they likely prevail on their argument that this had violated this requirement, this due process requirement, but also that they, that the ongoing, um, you know, that, that Acosta and CNN had shown that they faced irreparable harm, which mm-hmm. is the the standard for when you want to go to court and get these quick temporary restraining orders. The good quote was, I find the harm to Mr. Acosta in sustaining an ongoing violation of his Fifth Amendment due process rights outweighs the government's interest in orderly, respectful press conferences. Okay. So um, notably, the judge did not rule on any of the First Amendment things. Okay. Obviously, as we've explained, the Fifth Amendment aspect of this is is riddled through with First Amendment implications. It's but implicated by the, the existence of the First Amendment. Exactly. You need to, like, that's but, what that, that's what due process you're enforcing. But, but they're direct First Amendment claims he did not rule on. Okay. And like anything with these, it's it's an, it's a temporary order. He said they're likely going to win. So mm-hmm. it there will be, there'll be more process over uh, a longer form, a preliminary injunction, and then presumably we'll move forward to a full merits case. But it's, I mean... There's no way to paint it as anything other than a huge win for CNN. So uh, it just this leaves me with a lot of questions about where we're going to go from here in terms of 
the administration's um, handling of, of issues with the press. Yeah. Well, for and one thing, I'm very excited for the next briefing. If, uh, <laughs> yeah. if well, Sarah Sanders already issued a statement saying that um, that they were going to, obviously, they were going to follow the, the court's order and they were going to temporarily reinstate Acosta's press pass and that they would come up with new rules and processes and she ended it with, there must be decorum in, but, in but the White yeah. House. Doesn't this sound uh, to you guys, or maybe it's just me because I follow immigration so closely, but this to me has echoes of things like the travel ban where they do something really quickly and then courts are like, not so fast, White House. Yeah. And they roll it back and find ways to make the thing they always wanted to do um, yeah, pass muster. So I, I wonder what exactly those rules they decide to put in place will be and if they will still potentially uh, lead to other lawsuits as they maybe try to ban someone else and we get more at the direct First Amendment merits of what they decide to do. Yeah. I mean, the 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 standard for this this like you must explain yourself kind of thing is that the explanation has to be legitimate. It has to be, it has to be, there's a security risk or there's, or the guy was really being disruptive and stopping press conferences. And Mm -hmm. it has, it, it, the whole point is that it's there to, to make sure that they are making an argument that is legitimate. So, um, so it may be harder in this scenario to even, you know, yes, what this, ruling is asking them is to give a better explanation not that they you know not that they must allow Acosta under right. any yeah. circumstances into the White House but they have to give a good explanation so it, it it definitely puts it on the onus on them to actually offer a legitimate reason and show evidence and that kind of thing yeah I often end these segments by saying like we'll watch and see what happens but for us in the media we will watch very closely <laughs> to see what happens yeah thanks for explaining it Bill sure show is something offbeat and we've got quite the story this time this was the story that i was put on earth to report about (laughs) (laughs) it's what this podcast was was moving toward it's the culmination of and this segment especially uh yeah i I gotta tell you i feel really sad if that's what this podcast (laughs) should be known for um this story i find quite disturbing but it, it can't be untold alex Lay down the facts. Just do it. I mean, you know, we, we do, do we we get into these stories a little bit artfully sometimes. I'm just going to read the lead that we wrote. A partner in Hogan Lovell's London office has been suspended for watching adult videos at work, the firm confirmed Friday, adding that it will be tightening its policies for what employees can view online. I hope they tighten the policies. I have so many questions. Yes. Was uh, he what? <sighs> Okay, yeah. well wait, let's start with Because it's not just Okay, so the guy was watching porn at work. Well, shoot. See, I've already made I've already made a stumble. Interestingly enough, the firm uh discloses neither the name nor the gender of the person. Oh, we just assume. But if you hear us say this guy, I mean Okay. Societal bias is built in. Uh, it is not. It's not officially of the record. That is just a shorthand. Right. We may right. slip into. Uh, but yes. So this individual, a partner, again, should be stressed. This wasn't some confused, wayward millennial. No. A partner uh, was seen by people in an adjacent <laughs> building. So it wasn't to the even. Hogan wait, Lovells. wait, wait. Let's stop here. It wasn't even someone in the office that saw him. Was it? 
it wasn't even another Hogan Lovell's employee. No, there's a there's a different firm, uh, Irwin. What's it called? Irwin. Irwin Mitchell. Irwin Mitchell, which basically, again, it's a London office. It's across a sort of narrower alleyway. <laughs> a oh, London, so it's a like, London Lane. Yeah, well, you know. You know that does make sense for us here in New York. Like you can sometimes look out one building and see into the adjacent oh, building. But you can't. You couldn't see. Well, anyway, the person. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, the person uh, across the alleyway, across the causeway, whatever we're saying here, viewed this Hogan Lovell's attorney watching pornography. Now, we don't have the details, and there are a lot of questions that get raised. Why don't you take those up, Bill? Well, I was going to say, so, the, I mean, the other interesting detail is that the person took out their phone and started filming this from oh, yes, across right. the way, oh. and then sent that video to the HR to department. To the HR at Hogan Lovell's. At Hogan Lovell's. <sighs> Blew I just, the whistle. I just, I, I want to know... Was it was it on like the TV in the office? Right. Oh, you mean like, like a bigger screen? Well, how are you seeing it across the way? Think of how you, you, <laughs> you shouldn't be watching pornography at work. Uh, let's go ahead and put that just put that clearly on the record level. I'm yeah. gonna put that. You should put that in your Tinder. Profile, so you should. I think. Second point, you should know that you shouldn't be watching porno. You at work. Shouldn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This porno. guy not only did that, but he did it on such in such an audacious way. That it could be glimpsed could from be across the street. From across the street. <laughs> and as we said off the air, this couldn't have been the first time. You know, this I yeah. feel like this is an ad for like the shade store or blinds to go. <laughs> something. Uh yeah. I mean, the firm uh has again uh, suspended the person. I'm not one good. to tell Hogan Lovells how to do their job. I Seems mean Seems right. Come on. I mean, they raised I mean, a good point, I yeah. thought, in one of the statements I saw that like we are a law firm handling really important matters. Yeah. We like can't Crazy firewalls on all our computers. Yeah, yeah. Like people need to go be able to look at stuff. Yeah, I'll so it read, raises a yeah. difficult question at law firms of like how you do this. You you can you can discriminate against cyber threats. <gasps> yeah, but like the statement. Yeah, they, 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 I'll, I'll read the statement. The nature of our work for clients sometimes means we need to carry out investigations in areas which require us to have flexible access. <laughs> we have reviewed and tightened this policy, so we don't know what changes they made. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like like you say, I understand. Like you know, you got to look at some weird stuff sometimes i like the idea of very polite british people like raising the subject oh yeah be like nigel but do you think that were you? <laughs> do you think that the were you the person in the firm across the street had any kind of like competitive rivalry with Hogan oh, Lovells? because it's two angle. law firms adjacent to each other yeah sure. also i mean it had to have happened multiple times if you're like yeah maybe the person let it go it once sending, in a while. right sure yeah well there's you know the guy and across the street watching like, porn oh my God. again yeah uh, you know yeah that's great just you know, Charles is being a right wanker over there again <laughs> I'm like I like that we've done now we've both done British accents that's right I'm, I'm yeah. going to I can't believe it took this exercise long. some restraint and I also I don't have a good one so well I also we can get out of here on this I just I I, I don't want to obfuscate the important part of the story this is something that I think the entire firm should be on guard about especially with the holiday party coming up. Because, you know, that's 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 rife for for stuff to get out of hand. And also, I mean, I'm sure rumors are, are swirling. We don't know oh, the person's name, be. but I mean, I'm sure they do. But I'm they just, can also uh, narrow it down even within the firm. Even if you haven't heard the name, you're like, well, it's got to be the side that shares geographically. the wall with. <laughs> yes. So you know what partners sit on that side, right? So take heed out there. Partners, associates, counsels, anyone who works in any office at all, big do law us or otherwise. all a favor and don't bring that stuff to work. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for being with me, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Thanks. I also want to thank our producers, Kelly Mercano and Stephen Trader. Our special guest this week, John Bellinger. And our contributing reporters, Chris Villani, Dave Simpson, Braden Campbell, and Emma Cueto. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glassman. 
If you like the show and you want to know more about anything we talked about, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast. We're available on iTunes and Stitcher, and we'd love for you to leave us a review. Thanks, and see you again next week.